piece of our sound system, and if you think it's strange to you, it's very strange to me. It's going to take some uh, getting used to. Yeah, you're not the first person to compare me to Garth Brooks, but um, I didn't make the sort of grand entrance he does. I need to pop up out of the stage here, and we probably need some fireworks and smoke machine. Maybe we should revise the budget for next year with that stuff put in. At any rate, there, there may be some kinks to work out with this in terms of our volume, but uh, got to start it at some point, and we're glad that you're here today. I see uh, some of our regulars are, are missing this morning, but I also see some visitors here. I see some faces that have been out with illnesses for a while, and uh, whoever you are, we're glad that you're here, and I hope the time we spend here together today will be beneficial for all of us. I imagine that most all of us here this morning are familiar with Charlie Brown and the rest of the Peanuts family. A few years ago, they came up with a new Christmas special to fill out the rest of that hour when a Charlie Brown Christmas is on television. And one of the vignettes features Charlie Brown and Lucy, and Lucy walks up to Charlie Brown just before Christmas, and she says, Charlie Brown, since it's Christmas, I suggest we lay aside all of our differences and be friends for this season of the year. And Charlie Brown says, that's a great idea, Lucy. But why does it have to be just at this time of year? Why can't we be friends all year long? And Lucy looks at him with that look that only Lucy can get. And she says, what are you, a fanatic or something? Wouldn't it be wonderful if we actually started to practice the things we hear about and we talk about and that we sing about at Christmas time? Wouldn't it be wonderful if we carried those things through the entirety of the year before us? When I think of the things we should be thinking about at Christmas time and how that spirit ought to affect us, I think of the words of Longfellow. I heard the bells on Christmas Day, their old familiar carols play, and wild and sweet the words repeat of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And thought how, as the day had come, the belfries of all Christendom had rolled along the unbroken song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And in despair I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Then pealed the bells more loud and deep, God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail, with peace on earth, goodwill to men. If all who talked about peace on earth during the month of December actually started to practice that and recruited others to practice it, think about how different this world would be. If all who talked about goodwill toward men actually started to extend goodwill toward others and then recruited others to extend it too, think about how different this world would be. But those sentiments don't seem to make much of a real impact. What difference does the coming of Christ really make in my life? Several decades ago, a group of historians got together and they asked some intriguing questions. What if the Moors had never lost Spain? What if the Dutch had kept New Amsterdam, you know that better, as New York? 
What if Lee had won at Gettysburg? What if John Wilkes Booth had missed Lincoln? What if Napoleon had escaped to America? They asked these questions about each of these events, seemingly minor in themselves, but knowing how all of history turned out. And they wrote a book about the history called This, Does History Deserve It? What then is Christ at the table? At this happy season of the year, the entire world is celebrating Christmas. The Bible doesn't give us the exact date of Christ's birth. It doesn't tell us to celebrate his birth. It gives us no example of the early church celebrating his birth. Nevertheless, it's never out of place for us to think about and ponder the birth of Christ. 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ came into this world. And his spirit and his life has influenced the world more than anyone else has ever influenced it. It's pervasive. Literature, law, government, beauty, Christ, Christianity has touched each and every aspect of our lives. But what does Christ have to say? What would this world be like at this point if Jesus had never been born? Well, for one thing, our entire system of dating would be different. Human beings throughout history have endeavored to prop themselves up, make themselves feel important by marking the time around their existence. So uh, the French Revolution, uh, they established a new calendar marked from the time of the beginning of this time, 10 days in a week from now on. They were trying to stamp out any religious and royalist influence. In the early Soviet Union, they established a new calendar and marked the time when they deposed the Tsar. Roman emperors dated their calendars from the beginning of their reign. Luke tells that in Luke chapter 3, verse 1. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, and Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip tetrarch of the region of Iturea and Trachonitis, and Lysanias, tetrarch of Avalon, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. The idea, in comparison to these mighty governments, of Jesus establishing his own calendar is, is laughable. And yet we find today that while those other dating systems have faded away, time for us is divided into two great epochs. B.C., before Christ, and A.D., not after death, but Anno Domini, the year of our Lord. The incarnation is an event of such momentous importance that time itself is divided in order to reach Jesus' time. So if Christ had come, our entire calendar would be different. We think of it now every time we, we date a check. Or consider what the art world would be like without his influence in our world. Now, there obviously were no cameras to capture his likeness during his lifetime. No one ever painted his portrait as far as we know. Only his contemporaries saw him close up, right? And yet for 2,000 years, 
Jesus and his followers and the substance of his teaching have been some of the inspiration for the greatest works of art that the world has produced. If Christ had not come, there would be no sculpture of lamentation over his body or a Madonna child. There would be no return of the prodigal son by his friends, widely considered to be his greatest work. There'd be no sealing of the Sistine Chapel because there wouldn't even be a Sistine Chapel. There'd be no Last Supper by Da Vinci. And that's just a visual example. Think about music. Many of the greatest works of classical music were early on composed in the church. And many composers were employed by the church. Bach, for example, throughout his life as a composer, was also employed in the church organ services. We wouldn't have Handel's Messiah, that magnificent work of music, so often received in our churches. And that doesn't even touch those hymns that are so well-known in modern music. We think of Las Vegas and Old Rugged Rock and Oh Amazing Grace. But it's not just the arts. Our entire system of higher education would be different without Jesus. When the ancient world crumbled, what we often call wrongly, but we call it that anyway, the Dark Ages, it was the followers of Jesus who preserved what was left of the learning of the classical period. They preserved it in books and in manuscripts. Eventually those were collected in libraries. Later they formed guilds of learning. And eventually, some of the greatest universities in the world that are still in existence today, Oxford, Cambridge, the University of Paris, these were formed by Jesus. And it wasn't just for the purpose of studying theology. The men who established these universities believed that to study science was to study the work of God in science. They took seriously the call of Jesus to love God with all of your mind. Even the great universities in this country, the oldest Ivy League institutions, Harvard, Yale, Princeton, Every single one of those was established initially for the truth of medicine. Now, they've all obviously diverted from that purpose, but the point is they didn't even exist were it not for that purpose. This is, of course, just scratching the surface. We could continue on in this vein. Powerful men throughout history have often tried to cure immortality for themselves by naming cities after themselves. That's why if you read the Bible, you'll find an Alexander. You'll find more than one Antioch. You'll find a couple of Caesareas. Jesus never did anything like that. And yet today, look just in Massachusetts. Give your assistance to Project Life. San Antonio, Santa Fe, Atlantic, and on and on. Named after colleges. Men throughout history have tried to secure immortality for themselves by naming people after them. So if you open the New Testament, that's why you'll find so many people named Herod to begin with. The Herodias even. And yet today the names of Caesar and Nero are reserved for theme parks and bazaars and casinos. But the names of Jesus' followers, Peter, Andrew, James, John, even the name of Jesus himself in some cultures is reserved for living continue on in this vein. But while all these are 
dramatic losses that are obviously hinting of much greater significance. If Christ had not come, we wouldn't have the true measure of happiness that he's like. That's something we've all heard over and over and over. John tells us in 1 John chapter 4, verse 8, that God is love. But we see that preeminently revealed to us in the person and work of Jesus Christ. God became a man and he lived among us because he loved us. And because he wanted to reveal himself more fully to us. That's what it means when Christ is called Emmanuel, God with us. He was with us in the flesh some thousand years ago. But he continues with us today through his spirit, through his work. He promised that he'll be with us always, even to the end of the age. He was the friend of outcasts and sinners. He treated with love and compassion those who were marginalized in the world back then. He healed the sick. He raised the dead. He taught us that we shouldn't value ourselves according to the standards of the world because the last will be first and the first will be last. He showed us that where we stand in God's sight is far more important than the sight of the world's eyes. He became one of us so that we might know God better. He became one of us so that we might know the way of God. If Christ had not come, there would be no church. The church, after all, are those people who were gathered by Christ, created in response to his saving act. He's the founder and the substance of the Christian religion and Christianity. He is, as the Hebrews might have put it, the author and finisher of our faith. To be a Christian is to put our faith in him. That is to believe in him, but also to trust him. It's to follow him. It's to obey him. Without him, God wouldn't have us. There'd be no church. There'd be no fellowship of Christians, no worship. If you look at the earliest Christians in the book of Acts in particular, I think of Acts chapter 2, and it seems that they were, they were on fire. They were excited by this prospect of fellowship. And sometimes it, it almost makes you sad that we don't seem to be possessing the same emotion they do. But it talks about there how they continued in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and breaking of bread and prayers. Day by day they continued to meet together. And they had that feeling burning in their hearts because of the love that Jesus had revealed to them. And the fact that they were called to love one another just as Christ had loved them. And even if we don't have that exactly like I wish we could, we have at least something of it. We wouldn't have any of it at all if it weren't for Jesus. We wouldn't have the ability to come together, to draw strength and comfort from one another, to encourage, to build up one another in the faith. If Christ had not come, there'd be no gospel, no good news. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 1 that the gospel is God's power to save. And without Jesus, Mary Magdalene had died in vain. Matthew, the tax collector, would have remained a traitor to the church. The Roman soldiers would have continued in his cruelty and kept confessing his name. Peter and Andrew and James and John, that 
of going down in history as great men. David just did what Saint Christian taught him how to do. The Apostle Paul would have been nothing more than a demanding Pharisee. Without Christ, lives lifted up out of the pits of sin and despair to a new life, a new creation, and it's just demanding and demanding and demanding. Hearts made glad by the knowledge of sins forgiven. would not have that confidence of eternal life with God. He came to bring us a promise of a better life. He came to bring life and immortality to light through the gospel. Think about how we feel when we think of those two texts. I don't want to think of those as Jesus had a love for us. I go in and prepare a place for you, I'll come again and take you to be with me, that where I am, if there has been no birth in Bethlehem, all of history might be changed. Art and literature and music would all be Shown himself to be the wisdom and the power of God. 
spoken is never a man's word. He's gone to the cross to fulfill the plan of redemption. He's broken the bonds of death in his resurrection. He's lifted empires off their hinges. He has literally, as we've seen, changed the course of human history. And yet, most people listen and don't follow. Because the coming of Christ ought not to merely affect